Dress, the History of Fashion, is a production of Dress Media. With over 8 billion people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Trust, the History of Fashion, a podcast where we explore the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, Cassidy Zachary and April Callahan. Dress listeners, today's episode is all about you. Yay. <laughs> um, it goes without saying that without you, our listeners who hail from all over the world, that dressed would simply not be possible. And Cass, as you know, in the course of taking the show independent recently, we have been looking at a lot of metrics and statistics related to the show. And when we were doing that, we realized that only 60% of our regular audience is in the U.S. where we are based. And that means the remaining 40% hails from around the world. And when we say around the world, we mean it, which I mean, this is just so amazing. So from Thailand to Taiwan to Botswana to Bulgaria, from Iraq to the Isle of Man, we know you are out there world and a very sincere thank you for tuning in twice a week to listen to us. We are just so thrilled that we've been able to do this for so long and we'll do this well into the future while you continue to listen. <laughs> so as April said, today's episode is going to deviate from our normal format of us sharing with you um, as we do in our fashion history nows. And instead, we're going to flip the script and have you share with us, or rather, this is us sharing with you what you've shared with us. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes any sense. And speaking of listeners tuning in from all around the world, I just want to mention that on our most recent fashion history trips in Paris, which I promise we will stop talking about soon, um, but on our two most recent trips, we had listeners from eight different countries join us. So cool. Which was incredibly cool. Um, and it is with an email from one of these attendees on this trip that I would like to start our listener mail roundup, Cass. Cool? Yes, please do. Okay, this is for Jane. Jane, you did not think that we forgot about you, did you? We did not when we did our Paris recaps. We were saving this little tidbit for just this episode, and actually your email explaining a very special gift that, which you gave us on the trip was actually the catalyst for this listener mail episode. So yes, dress listeners, and this very special gift that Jane gave us that April's referring to. And so actually Jane and her husband, Rob, we should say, joined us on the first week of our trip. And at our final dinner, she surprised us both by giving us these beautiful, multicolored, highly patterned woven bags that are traditional to Papua New Guinea where Jane works. And they're called billems. And billem bags are an incredibly important part of Papua New Guinean culture, so much so that they have been called, quote, the backbone of Papua New Guinea. And we will explain this a little bit more, but first let's hear from Jane's listener mail. And this is just directly from her. She wrote, it was delightful to meet you in Paris, and I hope you had a fantastic time during the second week as well. Rob and I had a lovely week in Italy, where it was even hotter than in Paris, before heading home to the Southern Hemisphere. 
You asked for some more information on the billums I gave you from Papua New Guinea. This short video from the United Nations Population Fund provides a much better summary than I can and is more fun than reading an article. There are also two accounts on Instagram run by women who manage businesses buying and selling billums for the domestic and international market. Both have social enterprise approach and focus on communicating about Papua New Guinean culture. And those two Instagrams are at handmade locally. And then Jane puts in parentheses targeted for a more of a domestic audience in Papua New Guinea and at billums and baskets. And she writes targeted more for an international audience. I've been enjoying listening to the new podcast since coming home, as well as re-listening to ones on some of the topics we covered on the tour. Congratulations on the new platform. Happy travels, Jane. Thank you so much, Jane. And of course, dress listeners, we will put links to the video Jane referenced in our episode show notes, as well as to those Instagram accounts so that you can watch the video for yourself and follow those accounts. And please tune in and watch that video for yourself because we simply cannot do this incredibly rich tradition justice in the course of this episode. So just a little history and backstory. The term billum means womb, and these bags are highly personal. Oftentimes they're one of a kind, they're woven by women, and they speak directly to the carrier's status within society. So depending on the design, they can convey very specific meanings, including speaking to gender, stage of life, or politics and protest. They're carried by both men and women, and billums serve the functional purpose of carrying just about anything, including babies. Yes, and also how the billum is carried can also matter as well. Married women traditionally have carried them with a strap across their foreheads um, with, with, with the load down their back, whereas men carrying them slung across the body or hung around the neck. And so important to the very fiber of Papua New Guinean culture are billums that is actually an honorific to call someone of importance a big billum woman or a big billum man. <laughs> And I mean, there is so much more to say about these beautiful bags and the vast variety of meanings literally woven into them. So please check out the links in the show notes, which Cass mentioned, um, of course. And a wee word of warning, friends, uh, the video is surprisingly emotional and it's incredibly touching once you learn more about these bags, so much so that I know that a lot of you are going to want to go out and support these women weavers and the women-led weaving collectives. Um, and again, check it out in the links in the show notes to see where you can get your very own. And Jane, again, thank you, not only for our billums, but also sending us on this journey to learn more about this amazing facet of Papua New Guinean dress culture. Okay, April, speaking of journeys. The next listener mail that I would like to share comes from 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> <laughs> How, you may ask? Well, our next message comes from Taylor S., who wrote to us to say, Hi, April and Cassidy. I'm a longtime listener. I've just completed an 11-year career as a U.S. submarine officer. This is so cool. And always used to download your episodes before I went underwater so I could learn more about fashion history and stay informed about the fashion mysteries and happenings in the world. Now that I'm on the ground again, I've moved to New York City and finally got to see firsthand all the cool exhibits and museums you talk about on the show. Well, before I could only dream about visiting the Met or viewing the city's seasonal shows, now I can actually go in person. I just listened to your most recent Fashion History Now episode and felt very lucky that I had the inside scoop to go see the exhibits. And then in parentheses are Karl Lagerfeld, Moda Oi, and Generation Paper. 
Thank you for all the work you do. You gave me inspiration, envisioning the beauty and understanding the history of this world, even when my days consist of navy blue coveralls for months under the sea. Thank you. Oh my God. When we got this one, I almost cried. Just saying. Yes. (laughs) I might have cried. (laughs) It really surprised me. Um, I did not see this coming. Who knew that dressed had made it into the depths of the ocean? Um, You know, so when we do get these types of notes from you all, you know, you have to know, please know sincerely how much this means to us. And we say time and time again, you know, we just make the show and send it off in the world and we never know where it's going to end up. I guess I had never really imagined that the show was going to end up underwater, Cass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, this was just so incredible. And we actually didn't talk about what listener mail we were going to feature on the show before doing this episode. And we both tagged this this email. Actually, we tagged all of these emails. Um, So yeah, thank you, Dress Listeners, for reaching out to us. And thank you, Taylor. Thank you not only for listening, but also your service. And April, like you, Taylor is in New York City, and we will be doing a fashion history trip to New York City for our listeners in late November, early December. So Taylor, if you catch this episode, consider joining us or just sending us a note to beat up for a coffee um, because we will both be in New York in early December, uh, late November. So more details on that coming your way very soon, dress listeners, and you can register your interest at likemindstravel.com in the meantime. As you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For a limited time, dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can, by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this <laughs> hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. 
So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Okay, Cass, I suppose uh, if we're going to do this, we should just go right ahead and get all the tier jerker listener email out of the way <laughs> not sure if i'm gonna make it through this next one without crying so, listeners so bear with me uh this is a very recent message from Lindsay c who wrote okay i'll be perfectly frank your podcast has radically changed my family's life i've always been a fashion lover but never had the opportunity to learn very much about the industry I'm a lover of all art forms, but art and music stole my heart for my formal education. When I discovered your podcast and devoured an episode a day until I had listened to every word, I felt as though I got the college courses in fashion history that I've always dreamed of. You two have deepened and enriched my understanding of the industry, and by educating us about the exploitative and harmful aspects, you have changed the way my family of seven thinks about and purchases clothing. Like most people, I had no idea what a disgusting and horrible beast has been created by fast fashion. Our family has walked away from it entirely, and I seek to tell other people as much as I can. I've learned to use a sewing machine so I could tailor clothes for my kids. This is where it gets me right here. We shop solely at thrift stores now and recycle as much clothing as humanly possible, and that is all because of you. Thank you so much for your courage and gumption and grace in sharing your knowledge. I have no doubt mine is not the only life that has undergone a radical change as a direct result of dress. Okay, this is where I wipe the tears away now. <laughs> I know, I'm crying too. I think it's it's crazy because, and you definitely meet our listeners more than I do because you're in New York and I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, but we are literally, like I am in my husband's you know, office recording because Leo and him are asleep upstairs and you're in your living room. And we just record this as we have for the past five plus years and just put it out in the world, as you've already said. And, and then that's, you know, kind of where it goes. And then we move on to the next episode. And so when you guys write to us and tell us what the show means to you and, and how much fashion, you know, and, and dress culture means to you, and how we kind of have this shared passion with people around the world. I mean, it's just, it's incredible, April. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. And I cannot believe she actually taught herself how to sew in order to do this. That's amazing. 
Yeah. And I mean, I have to give a shout out to Neva who was on our trip. I mean, same thing she said to us. She's like, your guys' podcast changed lives, changes lives. And it's like, I just, I guess you just don't, I mean, I just have no concept of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you write to us and tell us like us teaching you about these things and, and bringing, you know, um, learning about these things to with you as well, you know, we, in many cases, you and I are learning about these things together with our guests that we have on the show, you know, so I kind of just see us as a vessel to share all of these other people's incredible works and crafts and uh, journeys with fashion as well. So yes. yes, just thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. That was very, very touching. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. We're going to attempt to bring it back in now, right? <laughs> <laughs> no more tears with the rest of the podcast. Crossing our fingers. Um, <laughs> on to some burning fashion history questions brought to us by you. Our next message comes from Heather S., who recently wrote, is there a place to put a comment in a thread on an episode? Well, first of all, I don't think so. Not that I know of. You know, so, I have, you know I'm the Luddite of this duo cast. Well, <laughs> and we're just figuring this all out too, Dress Listener. But I do know on Spotify, if you listen on Spotify, we do have a couple listeners on there that comment mm-hmm. after each episode. And we haven't figured that out yet. I think there's a way where we could put a comment or a question that you could answer on there. Um, so yes, on Spotify, you can. Mm-hmm. So, But I don't know about Apple Podcasts. So let us investigate, Heather. But that is not the meat of Heather's question. Um, Heather wanted to know, anyway, vis-a-vis the newest episode about buying vintage, what do you guys think about altering a vintage piece? Not just to make it fit, but to change it a bit. Case in point, I recently bought a vintage Chanel dress that had a black lace Empire bodice and a gathered white satin skirt. The two colors and the Empire waist made it feel a bit juvenile for my 50-plus-year-old self. I had a tailor take off the skirt and replace it with black leather. Smart or sacrilege? I will not be offended regardless (laughs) of your answer. (laughs) So, Cass, do you want to weigh on on in on this first, you know, how do you feel about making significant changes to a designer's original concept? Well, I've said this before many times on the show, but not every piece of clothing can be in a museum or a private personal collection and preserved for future generations. I mean, we know on this podcast that trillions at this point, I don't know, pieces of clothing have been created Hundreds of billions, thousands of billions of pieces of clothing have been created, so they can't all be preserved. And so if you altering a vintage piece, even if it's a designer vintage piece, is going to keep that piece in circulation on this planet and not go into a landfill, um, then yes, I totally think that's completely fine, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, yes. I would say this falls squarely under the umbrella of upcycling, right? So that garment already lived its life, right? So like Cass said, instead of it just ending up in a landfill or, you know, X, Y, and Z, you're giving it a new life in a way that pleases you. So the designer's original concept has already played out. Now it's time for a new one. So I think that is perfectly appropriate. Now, that being said, I do think that there are exceptions to this rule. For instance, if we had a Charles James gown, um, I would not necessarily recommend that somebody cut it apart and like take off the skirt because they wanted that full voluminous skirt. They wanted something slim. Something like that truly does belong in a museum, even if it's not in a permanent collection. Something like that 
could go into the museum in a study collection. Something like that has like a a scholarly value for students to look at. Um, So I wouldn't necessarily recommend, um, you know, cutting up something like a Charles James gown, but something like this, like a Lagerfeld piece, which is kind of like more mass, A-OK in my book. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also very personal, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, because not even value to students, but like cultural heritage, right? Like that's why the Kim Kardashian uh, Marilyn Monroe dress was such a hot topic because it's like, yes, it's just a dress, but no, it's not because it's actually embedded with all this cultural meaning and it's tied to this person. So, I mean, I think... Yeah, I think it it depends, mm-hmm. right? And you also see a lot of people, and it's this is by no means like we're not the end all be all to this conversation because there is this is a hot topic and people are going to have wildly different opinions of mm-hmm. <laughs> than us on this. For instance, I know with like quilts, there's like a huge debate around like upcycling because it's become such a trend lately to cut up quilts, and people have like lost their minds about people cutting up quilts. But it also, these people who cut up these quilts also know that so many of these quilts, there's thousands, hundreds of thousands of quilts, millions of quilts, Mm -hmm. and that they'll just go into landfills, right? And so, and again, they're rescuing it. They're giving it a second life. Um, So, yeah, I think it it depends on the garment or the textile, but yes. And in the case of quilts, too, you never know. Maybe there is significant damage to a portion of the quilt that's going to prevent it from being used like as a quilt. So maybe one little section has been, you know, upcycled, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. So there are, you know, always exceptions to the rule. Yes. So I hope that answers your question. Our next email comes from the land down under where Ilona H writes, hi, Cassie and April. I have been a little slow on the uptake of your wonderful show, but I am catching up. I live in a little town in Australia. I have a small studio where I teach creativity, including sewing. My mom was a fashion designer in Darwin, Northern Territory and a screen printer. And now I also dabble in this profession. Speaking on the topic, April, (laughs) she says, I am a hundred percent upcycled studio. I use sheets and Duna covers to make clothes for bigger women. And I love how you promote sustainability. Thank you in all caps. However, that's not why I'm writing to you. I'm writing because I'm curious about fashion from biblical times. There's a lot of unnecessary judgment happening right now about gender conforming clothing. And I was wondering what the gendered fashion was in biblical times. I am from a faith-based family. We had a great discussion the other night, but I suggested I could just ask some experts directly. That's where you come in. My position is that Jesus wore a robe that is very similar to a dress. So should we be so judgmental about men wearing dresses? Women are wearing pants and that was considered taboo 60 years ago. Thanks for your time and the amazing efforts you go to. Big sunny smiles from Australia. Oh, Iona. We love this question, and it cuts straight to the point that gender itself is a social and cultural construct. And what gender means and how it is expressed changes throughout time, and also depending on what culture you are looking at all around the world. And one of the biggest ways that gender has been both expressed and policed is by way of dress. So yes, in the ancient world, whether we're talking about the dress histories of, say, ancient Egypt or Greece or Rome or the entire continents of Africa and Asia, both men and women have worn bifurcated and non-bifurcated garments. And when we use this term bifurcated, what we're really saying is that it has a distinct separation for a right leg and a left leg. Um, And what we may refer to as pants or trousers 
bifurcated garments were worn by both men and women in horse riding cultures across Asia, for instance. Um, one of the oldest pairs of pants actually dates to 1100 to 1200 BCE in Western China. So we're talking about 3000 years old. But these sort of um, draped and wrapped garments with no division for right leg or left leg are actually overwhelmingly the norm for both men and women in the ancient world. And one of the reasons for this was a very deep reverence for cloth. So all fabric being handwoven at this time, of course, this is a pre-industrial age, obviously, and a time, you know, and when you consider the time and effort to produce textiles, this was valued, these textiles were valued very differently than today where we have industrialized production. We have to remember that the natural fibers like cotton or linen or silk first had to be procured, then hand spun into yarn. Then that yarn would be woven by hand with basic weaving tools to create cloth. And that's not even to mention dyeing. So whether the yarns themselves were dyed, dyed first or the finished cloth, you know, this whole process of dyeing was yet another profession. And it goes on, right? It just continues out from there. Yeah. All dye stuffs were sourced from nature prior to the middle of the 19th century. And preparing the colorant could be incredibly laborious. Yes. And so it really makes perfect sense. If you spent all this time and labor creating a textile, why would you cut it up? Why not simply drape it around the body and the round, making use of the entire textile? So as any sewist knows, when you're cutting out a modern pattern, there's a very specific amount of fabric scraps left over. This was, to have scraps like this was almost considered sacrilege in the ancient world, to waste fabric in this way. The fabric was too costly, it was too valuable, it was too precious. So we don't exactly see a lot of tailored garments created, um, you know, in the ancient world. Overwhelmingly, we're talking more about draped and wrapped garments, not tailored garments. Uh, this reverence for cloth, of course, continued well past ancient times. And not wasting cloth is the premise of garments like the Japanese kimono, for instance, right, for thousands of years. But if we're talking about Western Europe specifically, it's really coming out of the Middle Ages and into the beginning of the Renaissance that we start seeing garments become more and more tailored and this becoming more fashionable. And this happens to go hand in hand with bifurcated garments. So you begin to see aristocratic men, for instance, in Europe, distinguish themselves from their female counterparts by wearing first bifurcated hose. And this is followed by, you know, kind of puff shorts known as breeches over those hose. I'm speaking very generally here. This is a big picture overview. There are, of course, always exceptions, as we've already referenced, to specific cultures around the world wearing bifurcated garments before this time. This is a wide angle view not macro fashion history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and just to emphasize what Cass has already said, indeed, these early kind of Renaissance bifurcated garments were gendered male. But also gendered male at this time was the wearing of incredibly sumptuous velvets and silks, copious amounts of pearls, feathers, and a ton of bling. We see really thick, heavy gold jewelry worn by men as well as tights and high heels. This look was considered the height of fashionable masculinity. And it's not really until the quote-unquote great masculine renunciation in menswear in the early 19th century that that sort of opulence um, and indulgence in color and lace and embroidery and florals and jewels becomes regarded as feminine. Why, you may ask? Well, 
This was in part, um, a large part, to enact and reinforce a gender binary. Men dress like this and do this. Women dress like this and do this. So if you'd like to learn more about the gender binary in dress, we've already done um, an episode with Alok Vadmenin um, on fashioning the gender binary. So you can tune in more to learn about that, as well as anti-cross-dressing legislation of the 19th century um, and why that moving beyond the gender binary is not just a matter of gender, but it really truly is a matter of people being able to lead safe lives. Yes. So, Ilona, did Jesus wear a dress? You better believe he did. He sure did. (laughs) He did. He did. (laughs) And if the art historical record tells us anything, he probably paired it with some fabulous strappy little leather flats. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually just randomly reminds me, have you seen those Albert Einstein photos of him wearing women's sandals? No. I digress. Okay. And many... (laughs) (laughs) he loved women's sandals they were comfortable and yeah that's a whole other story but again just challenging the gender binary right Mm -hmm. um it's fake it's created in many ancient societies draped garments robes what we may call dresses today were the norm so to answer your question and this modern day gender divide on this point is actually newer than it is old so for thousands and thousands of years biological sex had nothing to do with who wore a skirt Clothing is not gendered. It's an inanimate object, people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The anxiety of men in skirts is a specifically Euro-American construct of the last few hundred years. And as we've already mentioned in the rest of the world today, outside of Europe and America, men wearing non-bifurcated garments, as it has throughout history, still remains the norm. Yeah. I guess I want to say that the big takeaway here, dress listeners, is that the clothes we wear are simply a gathering of fibers that are joined together in a very specific way. Those fibers are what they are, just as humans are what they are. It's this external assignment of meaning by a very specific society or culture that imparts the significance onto those groupings of fibers. The clothes themselves cannot speak. It's actually we who speak to ourselves and each other about the clothes that we wear. And that, dress listeners, is, of course, why we make this show. And we'll continue to make this show as long as you let us. So just to continue and create dialogue around the meanings we all assign to our clothing. The who, what, when of why we wear. And with that, dress listeners, that does it for us this week. We hope that you consider how your clothing choices put you in conversation with those around you next time you get dressed. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of our listeners for the copious amount of listener mail you have sent us over the past five plus years. We do read it all. We do our very best to respond to you. Um, So thank you so much. Keep it coming. If you enjoyed our first listener mail episode, please let us know and we will continue to do these. These are really fun for us. And we certainly have many lovely messages that we did not share today. Please know it was a hard choice to pick only a handful out of all of you who've written us. So thank you so much. Just know we appreciate each and every one of you. And like Cass said, keep those messages coming, friends. You can do so by DMing us on Instagram, which is, of course, at dressed underscore podcast. This is where we post images accompanying each week's episodes. You can also email us at hello at dressedhistory.com. And dressedhistory.com is our new website address. If you would like to subscribe to listen to the show ad-free, you can do so at the link in our show notes or also via the link tree and our Instagram for just $3 a month. 
for the price of a cup of coffee, you can skip the commercials and support two of your, hopefully, favorite podcasters. And just another reminder that we will be announcing our New York City trip, the schedule for that within the next week or two. I can already tell you there is, this has generated a lot of interest. So if you are interested, make sure you sign up at likemindstravel.com and be the first to know when that trip goes live. We're so excited. We expect it to sell out quickly. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) As always, we love and appreciate all of you so much. Thank you for listening and more Dressed coming your way on Tuesday. Dressed, the history of fashion is a production of Dressed Media. Dressed.